Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. I'll bet most of our listeners know this song, sung by Art Garfunkel and Paul Simon. Today, we'll be talking with Art Garfunkel's college roommate. We'll be speaking with Sanford Greenberg about his memoir entitled, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, that talks about how he lost his eyesight and found the power to break through the darkness and fulfill his vision for a life of distinguished public service. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Albert Einstein via Sanford Greenberg. I'll tell you what I think, and it comes from a quote by Albert Einstein. He said, the most important experience we can have is the mysterious. It is the fundamental emotion which lies at the cradle of true art and science. Whoever does not know it can no longer wonder, can no longer marvel, is as good as dead, and his eyes are dim. Now, to me, that says everything about how to live life. Because if you can't wonder or can't marvel, you miss the magic of daily living, simply the magnificent gargantuan essence, the beauty and joy that can be uncovered in all things you encounter on any day when you're walking on vacation with a loved one. There are a lot of wonders to behold in life if we're just open and receptive to learning about them. That's a much better summary than I could have given. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by APHConnectCenter.org, empowering people toward independence and success by providing blogs, information, and resources for individuals of all ages who are blind or visually impaired. Information and referral line are at 1-800-232-5463. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Sanford and learning about his personal mission to end blindness for everybody. My name is Sanford Greenberg. I live in Washington, D.C., was born and raised in Buffalo, New York, proud to be a Buffalonian, and uh, I am currently serving as chairman of the Board of Governors of the uh, Wilmer Eye Institute at Johns Hopkins, and I have a goal uh, in my life, which began in 1961, when I lost my eyesight, and I made a promise to God that I would do everything I could for the rest of my life to make sure that no one else would go blind. And I continued to pursue that. And in 28, we announced that there is a prize available to the person or persons 
who contributes most to ending blindness. And in 2020, we gave out 13 prizes to the most distinguished scientists, in our opinion, around the world. And subsequent to that, Johns Hopkins and the Wilmore Eye Institute agreed to create the Sanford and Susan Greenberg Center to End Blindness, which is the only facility in the world that is devoted solely to ending blindness for everyone forevermore. Well, that is quite an admirable mission. What is the current state of your vision these days? Uh, I have no sight. And that was the result of misdiagnosed glaucoma? Yes, when I was 19. And that was while you were just a couple of years into college at Columbia University, right? Yes, it was my junior year at Columbia. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is Sanford Greenberg's memoir, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, and the life story it tells. Well, Sandy, we partially wanted to talk to you today about your book, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, and also about your life. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you started your journey into blindness that's described in the book? Yes. My journey into blindness was like everyone else who's come into this land, uh, an unfortunate one. But you do what you can with what you have. I was pitching in a baseball game at the end of my sophomore year, beginning of my junior year. And in the seventh inning, my eyes became very cloudy, very steamy, and I couldn't see the batter. I almost hit one. And having decided that uh, the situation I was in was impossible. I stumbled off the mound to the sidelines and dropped to the ground. Fortunately, my girlfriend was there and she came over and put my head on her lap and asked me what had happened. And I told her that I couldn't see. And uh, she was aghast. I said, but it's now subsiding. And I had a number of episodes of that sort over a period of weeks until I went to see one ophthalmologist who told me I had allergic conjunctivitis and gave me some fortunately ineffective eye drops. And then I went to allegedly the best doctor in Erie County. And he, as Nancy said, misdiagnosed my condition. It was not an allergic conjunctivitis, it was glaucoma. And by providing topical steroids for me throughout my first half of my junior year, I went from 2020 vision to zero zero. And this had to be quite a traumatic experience when you're in your late teens, early 20s to, you know, be a very active person and then suddenly go blind. And there was quite a lot of resistance on your part to accepting your blindness. <laughs> that still is. <laughs> I would have thought you'd been used to it by now. Yeah, you would think. Uh... Not, not really. It's, uh, it's a challenging way to live, I need not tell you. But uh, fortunately, the good Lord blessed me and enabled me to meet some extraordinary people who helped make my journey 
a very constructive and happy one. Primarily, my wife, who at the time that this event occurred, she was my girlfriend, and uh, I met her in sixth grade. But despite the fact that I was instantly attracted to her, she would not talk to me, nor would she talk to me in seventh grade or eighth grade until she and I were in a spelling contest. And the word to be spelled was silhouette. And I knew I knew how to spell it. But the question I had in my mind, do I want to embarrass her by spelling it correctly? Or do I do what I should do, which is spell it properly? So I decided to spell it correctly. Uh, and uh, she didn't. Uh, I thought it could have been a very uh, calamitous occasion, but turned out that at least I came to her notice. And by the time we went to high school together, she uh, was aware of me. And when I asked her out on a date to go in our sophomore year of high school to go to the annual cancer, cancer charity ball, she accepted. And uh, we've been together ever since. For many years. 60. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. She was quite supportive as you were going through this process, as was your roommate in college. Can you tell us a little bit about your roommate and how supportive these individuals were? Well, my wife had a choice. She's a, a senior now in college. Her boyfriend, who she fell in love with finally, went blind. She was not blind, and she had the whole world in front of her. So. Her decision was to leave me or to stay with me, pretty well understanding that the path would be more treacherous than a normal life. But the reason she is the hero of this story is because she made the choice to stay with me when she didn't have to. I had no choice, and I had to stay with her. So the moral side of the argument is clearly on her side. And without her, I don't think I'd be here talking to you. She was a very brave and strong woman, I guess. Yes, sir. And your roommate, on whom the title of your book is based, was also very supportive during this time. I, I would say so. He and I met in 1958 during Freshman Orientation Week, and we became friends pretty quickly. And we should point out to our listeners, in case they don't know, that your roommate was Art Gartfunkel. Correct. Which explains why you were able to use the title Hello Darkness for your book, where anybody else might have gotten sued for copyright infringement. Correct. And I understand he was very generous in every way to you and vice versa throughout the course of your friendship. I'd like to think so. I think once again, as with Sue, his was the greatest sacrifice. And without that couplet, I certainly wouldn't have made it through. He would come into my room and read to me and say, Sanford, darkness is going to read to you today. Or, Sanford, darkness is going to read to you from the Iliad. Or, Sanford, darkness is going to read the New York Times to you today. And so I suppose 
felt that his voice was emerging from my darkness. And that's why he called himself Darkness, hence the name of the book. And it describes in the book how he was also very helpful in assisting you to get from place to place. And when you were getting used to not having eyesight, he was a very big help. He was crucial to my return to Columbia. After I lost my eyesight in Detroit after surgery, I went home to Buffalo and I didn't know the word depression at that time. I wasn't psychologically sophisticated. So let's say I was in despair and I didn't want to see anybody. So all of my friends who were calling in Buffalo, I rejected their offers to come over. I wanted to be alone, to sit in frigid isolation, as it would be called. And yet one day, Arthur flew in from New York and said, Sanford, let's take a walk. So we began to walk down my street, Saranac Avenue. And at the very beginning, things were somewhat light the way they were when we were back at college. And then shortly thereafter, he said, Sanford, when are you coming back to school? And I said, Arthur, I'm not coming back to school. How can I come back to school? I have no resources. And by the way, if you didn't notice, I'm blind. He said, Sanford, you and I made a pact that if one were an extremist, the other would come to his aid, notwithstanding the circumstances of the other. And so I'm here today to take part in that solemn covenant. And it's not only that you need me to help you, it's that I need you to come back with me. You're my best friend, aren't you? You guys were a team. Yeah. It's a great story of how instrumental certain people can be, like your wife and Art Garfunkel, in kind of motivating you out of a very depressing situation. And sometimes people just need a kickstart from the outside to get going again. Yes, sir. And that certainly worked for you. Yes, it did. Boy, very few people have a friend as good as he's been to you. I would subscribe to that sentence wholeheartedly. So there was a story that you recount in the book that was quite transformational for you in terms of dealing with your blindness, learning to navigate and be independent, etc. And Art Garfunkel was a key component of that story. Tell us that story. And so what, of course, changed the path of my life was one day when Arthur had finished taking me to a meeting with a social worker. He would always take me back to our dorm room after the meeting. And that day, he said, Sanford, look, he was an architecture student. And he said, I have a sketch of the Seagram building, which is due tomorrow morning. So why don't you just come along with me? And it'll only be a short period of time. Then I'll take you back to the dorm. And I said, Arthur, I don't think you understand it. If I miss this reader, I'm doomed. This is my whole career, which is the way I felt at the time. And I had a reader named Michael Mutasey at 4 p.m. that day, and I was intent on getting there. And after Arthur and I debated for a bit, he saw that I was somewhat intransigent and walked away. Leaving you alone in the middle of the city to get back on your own, despite being blind. That's correct. 
And so I entered the subway during rush hour and I used my outstretched arms and went into holes and benches and people and I was bloodied up pretty substantially. And at one point, I fell over the side of the tracks and my upper body was hanging over it so I could smell the dirty, oily, greasy tracks. Oof. And I was so down that I asked God if he would let the train sever me so this nightmare I was living would be over. And then I came to realize that I couldn't do that because all of my friends depended on me to continue the fakery that I had been carrying on, which is nothing's wrong. I'm not blind. But I realized that I had to go back and perhaps this time tell everybody exactly what's happened to me and what the problems are. And so I got up and I started the trek back to get the Midtown shuttle, got on a local train on the west side to go up to Columbia. And uh, I remember sitting in the train with my legs bloody, socks wet, head in trouble. And I thought of my grandmother who at age eight lived in a nowhere place in Europe and her at a spring from a cradle burst into her eye, so she needed a glass eye. And at eight years old she somehow got to London where she operated a candy store and then took a voyage along the cross and cruel ocean to get to Philadelphia and then ultimately to Buffalo. And I thought about what she had gone through. And this little journey of mine on the subway was nothing in comparison with what she suffered. Now, after your journey on the subway, when you got back to the Columbia campus, you had a surprise waiting for you. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. It was a hell of a surprise. And uh, I bumped into this man who said, oops, excuse me, sir. And uh, of course, it was Arthur who had followed me the entire way. And he never had a sketch that he had to hand in the next day. And it was both a moment of rage for about 30 seconds and then jubilation after that. So unbeknownst to you, he is sort of your guardian angel along this trip, but you didn't know. Yes, <laughs> but he, he, he was, but I didn't know. Well, that is quite an incredible story. But art also had an impact on how you viewed the world in general and your outlook on life. Tell us how he changed your outlook on life and gave you a more positive attitude. One day after our humanities class, as we were walking out of it on Amsterdam Avenue, he called me over and said, Sanford, I'd like you to look at this patch of grass, but really look at it. And he then told me how light illuminated the beauty and complexities of its colors. I was stunned. Here was a young man telling me about the beauty of nature. And 
that experience coming so early in my life transmogrified the way in which I looked at nature and indeed my way of experiencing life itself. And shortly thereafter, we decided to room together. And little did I know how great offered room with him was. So ultimately, you did graduate from Columbia with your undergraduate degree. You went on to get, I believe, a couple other degrees, and then you've been very successful in business. So having gotten over the hump of accepting being blind, can you talk a little bit about some of these other successes that followed? Yes, I'd be happy to. The one that was most significant to me started out as a result of my blindness. In my senior year when I had returned as a blind student, I found that the tape recorder I was using would not go fast enough for me to absorb information or enough information to keep up with my peers. So in my senior year, I struggled with that. And finally, during the summer, I had a breakthrough. And I said, well, if for the past 50,000 years we've been communicating by principally by speaking and listening, 500 years ago, Gutenberg came along with a printing press. So it seemed to me that there might be genetic and historical reasons why we might be capable of adapting to listening as rapidly as we can read. And that's when I decided to invent a compressed speech machine so that a student could listen at two or three times what the tape recorder could play without distortion. And I worked on that all the years I was at Harvard and Oxford and Columbia. In 1969, got the patents for the compression expansion of human speech. And that was a big thing, because prior to that, people got the idea that you could speed up audio, but everybody sounded like chipmunks like this, and it wasn't really so good to listen to. You summarized the problem perfectly. I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry to hear that. So that was a great advance. (laughs) From my perspective, it was. And then that was the beginning of your career as a serial entrepreneur, I guess. I, I don't like to consider myself a serial entrepreneur. That has certain connotations. I'm a believer, as you know from my book, that the two most important things in the world are people and ideas. And to me, each time I thought about a new idea around which I could build a company, a lot of research and thinking went into it before I simply rushed into the next company. So maybe you will call that a serial entrepreneur. I call it uh, a time to reflect and then make a decision based on research to start a new company. One thing that made a big impact on me from reading the book was how you handled your blindness. As a blind person myself, I've become accustomed to using assistive devices like canes. I don't use a guide dog, but, you know, voiceover on my phone, screen readers. And it seems like At least early on, it's natural you were very reluctant to using any assistive devices or mobility devices like canes or guide dogs. And it seems like that was for a long time. 
Can you talk a little bit about that? And, you know, I know you're a pretty proactive, strong person otherwise, but I'm kind of surprised that you wouldn't rely on any of these things that presumably might make navigation or life a little bit easier. That's true. And I have been criticized by uh, my wife, my family members, and many of my friends for not going down the traditional route of using a cane or a dog. And I think you, in the book, can feel the tension in my decision-making process. Yes, that was quite evident. Right. But even after that terrifying experience getting home to Columbia on the subway with art shadowing you, you still didn't start to use any assistive devices like a cane or a guide dog, did you? No, I felt that if I could get through the New York City subway blind, that I could do anything. And that episode defined me then, and it defines me now. I still feel that way. But I understand from the book that you also have your personal plastic surgeon on call when you do smash into things. (laughs) Yes, I have to admit to that. It's helpful. (laughs) You don't lose as much blood as you probably otherwise would. Right. We rely on Steri-Strips. Oh, my wife carries in her purse a bundle of Steri-Strips. Yes, we wives get very good at using them. Yes, yes, my wife's quite expert. I'm glad to hear somebody else that. I thought that was our secret. I guess it's out. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about and how to get Sanford Greenberg's memoir, Hello, Darkness, My Old Friend, how to learn more about the End Blindness Campaign, and how to contact Sanford Greenberg. Well, Sandy, remind our listeners what the name of your book is and where they can obtain the book. Hello, Darkness, My Old Friend is the name of the book. And if you just go on Amazon, you can purchase it. And if people wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Just go to SanfordGreenberg.com, and I have a page there, and I will do the best I can to respond. And what can people find on your website? Well, they can find the details about the book. They can find a number of interviews I've had. They can find largely a great deal about the End Blindness Campaign. And if they want to go to another website called endblindnessnow.com, they'll get the whole story of End Blindness and the award ceremony, which I'd recommend. And as usual, you can find all of that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you're looking for interviews we've done with other blind or visually impaired authors, just put the word author into the search field on our website at the same place. And then you'll find a summary of those shows along with links to the audio and the show notes. Make use of that search field. That's it for show number 2248. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about Pete's experiences with STEM education and his subsequent career. As many of our listeners know, despite being born blind, 
My co-host of Eyes on Success, Peter Torpy, enjoyed math and science as a youth and went on to obtain a Ph.D. in engineering physics and spent his entire career as a research physicist at Xerox Corporation. Next week on Eyes on Success, Marie Sina, a young reporter from Deutsche Welle, will talk to Peter about his educational and work experiences as a scientist. So join us next week for that show if you'd like to find out what it's all about. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.